so I have been in vain checking Twitter for updates on NFL free agents signings, hoping to see that the Patriots might improve their team. And while that has proven utterly fruitless, I did come across this nugget from Elon Musk. The limbic instinct for vengeance is incredibly strong, which is why turn the other cheek is such a powerful idea. Well, it is, in fact, a powerful idea. <laughs> in fact, Jesus said it. And yet Jesus goes further still. Not only have we been called to turn the other cheek, but to see, uh, or to seek, to seek the good of those who strike us. Not only have we been called to turn the other cheek, but also to seek the good of those who would strike us. Look at God's Word in Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 38. Jesus spoke these words, and they have been recorded for us. These are eternally written. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For He makes His Son rise on the evil and on the good. And He sends rain on the just and on the unjust. And you'll remember from last week when we looked at this from Luke chapter 6, God is kind to the ungrateful and evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. All right, now stop for a second there. God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. That's how you and I should read this. Because it's not just them out there that are ungrateful and evil. It's them in there that's ungrateful and evil. And God has been merciful to me. God doesn't just call us to do good to those who disregard or even harm us. God has demonstrated it perfectly in the person of Jesus Christ. He was continuously doing good to those that brought evil His way. And God has demonstrated it perfectly in how He has dealt with us. And in fact, we see a very clear picture of, of wanting to issue good in the face of evil when Jesus was hanging on the cross, being declared guilty for sins He did not commit, having been crucified by a group of people, literally, that were in His presence, and He prays out and says, Father, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. In this life, we will experience rejection, and we will have people who will mistreat us. Bitterness and revenge come very naturally to us. That's the easy way. But God has saved us from these unfruitful responses. Take a look, please, at Romans chapter 12, which is our text this morning. Romans chapter 12. 
God has saved us from the unfruitful responses of bitterness and revenge that come so naturally to us. When someone harms us, it is natural for us to respond in like kind. It's this for that. If you want to be loved, you better show some love my way. If you treat me poorly, guess what you're going to get in return? Poor treatment. That's the way it goes. That's natural. But God has not saved us to be natural. He has saved us for His supernatural power to reign supremely in us and supremely through us. God has given us something that we could never muster on our own. It's called grace. God's grace works in us and then works through us. We're in Romans chapter 12. Look at verses 17 through 21. God's word says, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's a lot here. We, we understand that we're going to endure in this life evil treatment. It is expected. And this is very universal. In, in verse 17, the end of it, it says, take thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Verse 18, if possible, so much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So you can see the, the universal nature of this and how, how he's talking about, about a, a universal application of this. This is about the things that we face in normal life. So let's walk through the passage a little bit uh, and to see the principles or some of the principles that this passage lays out. First of all, we will experience evil at the hands of others. This passage declares it. God declares it. Go into your days knowing this. People will seek your harm. They will seek to injure you. Whether that injury is actually physical or perhaps something else. A lot of injury is not physical injury. Sometimes there's moral injury or emotional injury. That will take place. God is letting us know. And this is reiterated throughout this passage. Look at the beginning of verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil. What's the expectation? You're going to experience some evil. Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. In other words, someone's going to do something that you're going to want to repay. Verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry. So you see someone's going to do this. Verse 21. Do not over, be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There's an expectation here of evil treatment. Does anyone have any doubts that this takes place in life? No. Because you've experienced it. You've experienced it. What are some of the evils that we could face? Well, I'm just going to list some. There's no way I could list all of them. I'm just going to list some, and maybe it'll provoke your thoughts to maybe some others. But once we have that thought, we've got to turn the page. So don't like end up having your own little sermon all by yourself about all the harms that people have done you. But here are some thoughts. You could be neglected. You've been... You've been harmed that way where someone has neglected you. Perhaps you've been neglected by someone closest to you. You could be cheated. Whether, you know, all, think of all the different ways you could be cheated in, on it in this life. Certainly you've been misunderstood. Someone could backbite you or gossip 
about you, speaking all kinds of evil, rightly or wrongly. You could have been passed by. You know, you, you really deserved a promotion or you really deserved some credit for something and, and they, you've been left out. You've maybe been falsely accused before. The list could go on and on. And I'm sure you have your own stories. But we will all encounter and experience evil at the hands of others. Secondly, as we think through this, we will naturally desire to get even. We will naturally desire to get even. Verse 17 instructs us, repay no one evil for evil. The word there, apodidomai, or apodidomi, it's a great word. The idea is to give from. To give from. That's the very basic interpretation of apodidomi, is to give from. Didomi, to give Apo from. What is the idea? It's to repay a wage. Oh, you gave me evil. Oh, let's, let's take out the ledger. Evil comes in. Evil goes out. Make sense? Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves. Ekdikeo. That's a, that's a great word there. It's to vindicate one's right. To vindicate one's right. I should not be treated like this. I didn't deserve that. Look at my track record. Look at all that I've done. Look at all that I've earned. And you paid me back with that? Well, I'm going to vindicate myself. I'm going to even the score. That's the concept of avenging ourselves. First of all, declaring that we're right. Declaring all of our goodness defending ourselves, and then responding with a similar way to even the score. This is natural to us. You've been doing it since you were a kid. Someone took your toy. That's my toy. I'm going to take your toy. Well, it becomes a little bit more sophisticated as we get older. But it's the same sinful root. And that is, we have this tendency of getting even. Verse 21 Look at verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil. One of the possible outcomes of being mistreated is to passively allow evil to rule the day. Do not be overcome by evil. It's almost like, have you ever used this expression? We kind of throw this expression around in our house. It couldn't be helped. <laughs> it couldn't be helped. It just, I just had to do this. This is the way it's going to be. It couldn't be helped. And that's kind of the idea that God is trying to help us to understand in verse 21. Don't be overtaken, overthrown, controlled, and be a passive participant in evil carrying you along to produce what? More evil. Here's a simple way to say it. If you have an evil act and you add some evil to it, how much evil do you have, class? Twice as much. And yet that's our natural way of dealing with evil is to pay it back. And so you add to the mix or even multiply the evil. Is this helping? It's not helping. And so God is trying to free us from thinking that experiencing evil is abnormal it's not abnormal. Everyone endures evil in this life. And God is trying to free us from our natural response, which is to, to get even. Because it doesn't ever work. You have a temporary... You can tell maybe I've gotten even once or twice in my life. You have a temporary feeling of, yeah! And then when you're done, you say, oof. That didn't really pay off the way that I thought it was going to. So a third concept that we are encountering in this passage, and I think it's very helpful, is God has freed us from the bondage of revenge. I want to let that sit on you for a moment. God has freed us from the bondage of revenge. So we ask questions. Why not repay evil for evil? Or, why not 
avenge ourselves? Or, why should I provide good when others have provided evil? Why would I do that? Well, let's look at the text. Verse 19 now. Verse 19. Now, we're in the middle of a conflict passage, right? (laughs) Evil. Everyone's aware of that, right? Conflict. And as soon as you talk about conflict, you conjure up all kinds of things in your mind, right? Today, we're thinking about what's going on in, in the Eastern Hemisphere, right? Everything that's going on in Russia and Ukraine and probably, you know, even the surrounding nations and all the things that are happening there. And then maybe you bring it in a little closer and you think about the, the conflict that goes on in our own nation, whether it be with the sexual revolution or, you know, the, the social justice concepts, all these ways in which we pit ourselves against one another. There's, there's conflict to be had. And then maybe you drive in a little bit closer and you, maybe it's in your workplace. You, you sense things that there's conflict there. And then maybe you have to peel it and, and, and hone in a little bit further and you start to look in your own home and you think, yeah, the way that you know, things are going between my, my spouse and me or my children and me or my parents and me, all of these conflict, conflict, conflict. And I, you think the people in Rome in the first century didn't have those same circles going on in their lives too? And so he's talking about conflict and then he breaks he breaks into the, into the midst of it with, in verse 19, Beloved, agapetas. Beloved. Who's beloved? Well, maybe you could say, well, Paul's beloved. He loved the church at Rome. That's good, but maybe, it, maybe someone else is really the the subject of calling them the beloved. Maybe it's God calling them the beloved. Don't pay back evil for evil. Don't don't, uh, avenge yourselves. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Loved by God ones. That's a way to break the ice a little bit. You're starting to get a little bit edgy. A little inside's getting a little bit balled up and maybe a little bit fiery. You can feel the, 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 the anger welling up. You, you, evil, I've experienced evil. You don't want me to pay back evil for evil. You want me to be at peace with people that are constantly giving me wrong. And he says, oh my my loved ones of God. Oh, oh. Might change our thinking process a little bit. There's an interruption of the way that I was thinking and what I was feeling. I've got a little bit of a different sense. And look what he says now in verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God or leave room for wrath, for it is written... Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. I'll take care of that. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heat burning coals on his head. Now there's a lot. There's a lot in these verses and we can't unfurl all of it. But here's what we can know. First of all, As a believer, I have experienced what it is like to be loved even when I was a rebellious enemy of God. God, you want me to do that? Yeah, I'm going to go over here. That's what we're doing. God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So you know what it's like to experience love in the face of your rebellion, in the face of your evil that you brought to the table. But also, God says, let me take care of that matter. Instead of you taking the evil that you've experienced and returning evil, give me the opportunity to demonstrate that I am the just ruler of the universe. 
God asked a question to Abram long ago. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And what is the answer that we have as an expectation to that answer? Absolutely. The judge of all the earth will do right. There are two possible outcomes for people who uh, directed evil at you. Right? So someone is bringing evil your way. There are two possible outcomes for that person. Number one, they will give an account for their sinful actions. God will bring justice. Right? That's one possible result. There's a second possible result. They will be redeemed by the glorious mercy of our redeeming God who saves people like you and me. What will happen what will happen to their evil in that circumstance where the second of those is true? Where the person who brought evil your way receives mercy from a redeeming God and their sin is removed forever. So how is their justice there? Don't ever forget this. That God is faithful and just. That God's righteous, rightful wrath against sin will have its demonstration. And you know where our neighbor who brings evil our way but yet turns to Christ and receives forgiveness and mercy? You know where that justice is laid out? It's laid out on the cross of Jesus Christ. The same place that we ourselves have received mercy and justice. God doesn't forget. God is infinitely just. And when someone pours evil out against you, it will be taken care of. The records will be made straight in one way or another. Either the person who brings evil will endure the, the just wrath of God for their sin, or, and this is our desire, or they will receive mercy like we have received mercy, and Jesus will have paid the cost for their just punishment. It's an amazing thing. You know, we have this burden on us that burden is, I don't like when things are unfair. It's not right when someone cheats and is a millionaire. It's not fair when someone is accused of countless acts of sexual immorality and gets a five-year, $230 million guaranteed contract. Something is wrong when this kind of a thing happens. We think there's something unjust here. There's something wrong. We see this. We're under the bondage of feeling this way. And yet, God removes the burden of us feeling like every unjust act must be cared for in order for me to be satisfied. Because if, if I really want justice, what I really want is to experience the wrath of God against my own sin. And God has not ever told me that me as a believer will experience even an ounce of judgment for my sin because all of that judgment was poured out on my Savior, the just for the unjust that He might bring me to God. God is removing a bondage of revenge from us. You've seen people eaten up by bitterness and resentment. You've seen it. And perhaps you've been one who has been eaten up by bitterness and resentment. And God frees you from this because He says, I will make it right. Don't, don't you worry. Beloved, avenge not yourselves, but give room, give place, give time for my wrath. I will repay Vengeance is mine, not yours. Vengeance is mine. I'll repay, says the Lord. 
So what do we do? Instead, if you see your enemy hungry, instead of being overcome by evil, overcome evil with good, feed him. If you see your enemy thirsty, instead of being overcome by evil and saying good, good enough for him, be overcome by good and give him something to drink. And by so doing, it's a little tricky here, by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. It's almost like you're like saying, oh, yeah, I'm not going to get him. I'm going to give him something to eat and it's going to make his torture worse. <laughs> is that what, is that, you think that's what God's saying? Probably not, huh? So there are some translations that add some words in here, and I'm not comfortable adding words, but just for the sense of our potential grappling with this. One translation says, for by so doing you will heap burning coals of shame on his head. And the concept there, which fits nicely with the whole context, is Perhaps by your demonstrating good in the face of their evil, they might see the evil of their ways, be ashamed, and realize they need a Savior. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Maybe by your demonstration of good, they might see the glory of God and turn from their evil and receive mercy. All of the evils of this life will be accounted for. Our Savior will set all things right. Let's, I want to look at a Scripture passage. Again, this is part of seeing that we can remove the, the burden of revenge from us and say, Lord, You're good. And Lord, You're able. And Lord... May it be that you make these things right. In fact, I know you will make it right. Take a look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Now, in reading this passage, you might have one of two emotions. or It's like, wow, that's some pretty heavy vindication going on there, and that's pretty heavy and dark. Or another possible way you'll read this passage is, Man, that is, that, is, that is a day that I'm looking forward to because I'm, I'm seeing in this passage something of God bringing forth a glorious salvation and harvest of soul. So I'll read the passage. We'll see what the Lord does in your heart and mind with it. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are also suffering. Since indeed, God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us. When the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus, oh, excuse me, the gospel of our Lord Jesus, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. Again, there's a lot going on in this passage, but there are a number of emotions that could be produced. One is vindication is certainly being demonstrated. Can you see that? Vindication. I, I find it just to inflict those who afflict you. That's one part of this passage, right? But there's also the flip side of it. There's the comfort and the relief. And then there's those who are marveling. Marveling at the one in whom they've believed. 
that could, you know, that certainly every believer, right? These are the ones that, that, that recognize God's offer of salvation. We marvel at the return of Jesus Christ and his glory. And some of those that might marvel might be the very ones that in, afflicted us with harm. And instead of receiving a just recompense for their sin, they have received the wondrous mercy of God along with you. Isn't that what we want? Isn't that why we're here? This sojourn in life, we know it's filled with pain. We know it's filled with sorrow at times and difficulty. And God has allowed us to endure these things for the sake of pointing people to His saving mercy and grace. And so we want even those who afflict us with their evil, we want them to understand how great our God is that God even forgives that evil that was directed at us. It's easy to talk about, isn't it? But when we're navigating through the painful turmoil of the evil that someone inflicts upon us, it's a lot harder to see this bigger picture. But this is exactly the kind of demonstration of our Savior. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 2. The Lord Jesus Christ demonstrated this very same confidence that God is leading us toward in Romans 12. 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 21. We'll start in verse 20. He says, For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his footsteps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. Listen carefully to these words. But continued entrusting himself to him who judges rightly. Is not that exactly what Romans 12 is saying? Give place for the wrath of God. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord Jesus Christ, who is God and man, followed this exact same instruction where he said, all right, I'm enduring evil while doing good. And yet I'm going to entrust myself to my Father as a gracious Creator. I'm going to entrust myself to Him and I'm going to commit the keeping of my soul to Him because He is faithful. He is faithful. Head back to Romans chapter 12. Romans 12. We will experience evil at the hands of others. That's a, a for sure. We will naturally desire to get even but God has freed us from the bondage of revenge. Fourthly, I want to take a moment to discuss this. God has issued His life-altering peace. God has issued His life-altering peace. Look at verse 18. Will you read verse 18 with me? This will be fun. Romans 12, 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, Live peaceably with all. Live peaceably with all. So much as it depends on you, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now remember this, the Lord Jesus said this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. In other words, Jesus says, I am going to give you my peace. This is not like a peace that is learned and conjured. I've mastered peace now because I've been studying peace, you know, under under every tree. I, you know, I go up and onto the, you know, onto a mountaintop and I and I sit there and I bake in the sun and I and I, I bask in the, the, the glory of these books that I'm reading, and now I have peace. I have contemplated peace, and now I have mastered peace, and now I will issue peace. Yeah. See how that works when someone punches you in the face. 
Jesus is my peace I give to you. This is a supernatural, from another world, peace. God has entrusted to you and I the ministry of reconciliation. He's called us to be peacemakers. The blood of Jesus Christ preaches a message. You know what that message of Jesus Christ's blood preaches? It preaches peace to you who are near, and it preaches peace to those who are far off. It's an amazing message that God, God preaches through the blood of Christ. This peace does not come from our own resources. It is available to us through God's Spirit who produces fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Yeah, you knew that one, didn't you? Knowing it and seeing it issue forth are two different things. God offers you His peace to rule in your heart. God offers His peace to come emanating through you. This is our desire. Not everyone that we offer peace to, however, will accept it. So this is why Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, says, as much as it depends on you. All right, stop and think for a moment. This does not mean, after you've given the old college try, that we stop and say, well, I tried. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. Well, I, I gave it a shot. They didn't accept the peace, so now I've moved back to enmity. Can you imagine if that's how God dealt with you? How many times did God offer you peace before you finally said, yes, Lord, I believe? Imagine if he gave up after five tries, ten tries, a hundred tries, a thousand tries. Maybe, maybe you sit here right now as one who's been offered that peace from God and you still have not come to the place to say, Lord, I need you. Lord, I need your salvation. Did he give up yet? No. You have breath in your lungs? Can you still see or hear? Can you hear? The issue of God's offer of peace comes forth. He hasn't stopped yet. This is the same peace that He's issued to us to issue to others. It's one that doesn't quit after the offer is sent forth and says, well, they, gave, they, they didn't take it, so I quit. As much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So this leads us to our last point from this passage this morning God's mercy toward us frees us to offer genuine mercy and good it's a long one that probably would get an F in an homiletics class too many words say it in four words or less God's mercy toward us frees us to offer genuine mercy and good look again at verse 17 the negative, repay no one evil for evil. The positive, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. The word give thought is the, to, to think beforehand. It's like to actually, like, let's plan our steps here. That's a little different than what we do sometimes, right? We're a little bit reactionary. This is one of our problems. We react to things and our reaction is often not a good one. But this says, rather than repay evil for evil, take some time to think. Think about how you should respond. And what does he tell us to, to respond like? To do what is honorable in the sight of all. This is a great word, that word honorable. It's the Greek term kalos, sometimes translated good. But a really great translation is beautiful. Beautiful. Take some thought to do what is beautiful in the sight of all. But let's be honest. Vengeance is never beautiful. It brings carnage. Guts flying everywhere. Peace is beautiful. Look at verses 20 and 21. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
Verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. I want you to turn to a couple of passages to help really solidify this. We'll be finished in just a couple of moments here. Matthew chapter 9. Two gospel passages we want to look at. The first is to evoke a thought. And the second gospel passage is going to display something beautiful. So first of all, Matthew chapter 9, look beginning at verse 9. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. That's everyone's favorite site. And he said, follow me. And he arose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, probably the house of Matthew, behold, Many tax collectors, this is really a happy spot, and sinners came. And these tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Listen, I have an assignment for you, Pharisees. Go learn what God means when he says, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. And to a a, a Pharisee, they're like, letter of the law. All right, yeah, I'm going to go back to Leviticus. And I'm reading in these chapters about the sacrifices that God has prescribed. And I'm going to go, you know, a little further back to the book of Exodus. And I'm going to see when God laid out the tabernacle. And I'm going to see what was this all about. And, 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 and there's all this blood everywhere and sacrifice everywhere. God desires sacrifice. But Jesus said, quoting Hosea, I want you to learn something beyond the sacrifice. I want, I want you to learn what it means that God is merciful and desires mercy. You go and learn what it means that I desire mercy rather than following a letter of the law. That's the the, the thought-evoking gospel passage. I want you to now look at a passage that displays the beauty, the beauty of what is being called for in Romans chapter 12. Take a look at Luke chapter 18. We'll start reading in verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus. You have to say this in the right kind of voice, you know. God... I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. If the story ended right there, the parable ended right there, you're like, okay, two different ways people approach God. One is they can do enough. And the other understands that they're a sinner. But God doesn't leave, leave this a mystery to us. Verse 14 is there. Look what it says. 
Jesus said, I tell you, this man, the one who asked for mercy, went down to his house, how? Justified. Rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and the one who humbles himself, what does the next three words say? Will be exalted. Jesus tells us that the one who comes to Him for mercy receives mercy. The one who comes for mercy receives justification. The one who comes for mercy receives exaltation. Is that a beautiful picture? This is what Romans 12 is asking for from you and from me. Don't repay evil for evil, but think ahead of time about what is beautiful for all people. And what is beautiful? Pointing to a merciful God who saves sinners like you. Maybe you are that guy that that fasts and and tithes and goes to church and does all the right things. You good do be you. It's, It's not a bad thing. But if you trust in that for your justification... Or you trust in that to make you okay with God. Or God requires this and so now I'm I'm doing my checklist and now I can be okay with God and God will be happy with me and He'll bless me and make me me one of His special people. If you think that that stuff is going to bring you to God, you are absolutely 100% wrong. That is just as wicked as adultery and extorting. Just as wicked if you think it's going to get you someplace with God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. Even your wonderful attempts at obedience. On the other hand, seeking mercy from God and receiving mercy from God that flows forth in serving one another and giving and worshiping, this is a beautiful thing in the sight of God. And it's a beautiful thing in the sight of a sinner like me who also has experienced that same mercy. See, isn't that what we're looking for is to point people to a merciful God who saves? And yet we can get so caught up being very religious, doing really good things, and thinking this is what it's all about. What it's, what it's all about is knowing who God is and pointing people to who God is. And you know, when the rubber meets the road in our daily lives and we receive evil, our natural response is to give evil back. And what God is telling us is, rather than being carried along by the evil of the world, I want you to show the counterculture nature of who I am. And I want you to bring good to those who bring you evil. That's exactly what I've done for you. Time and time and time again is what God is telling us. I have constantly given you good in the face of your evil. All through the New Testament, but particularly in the book of 1 Peter, we see this call for us in the face of our suffering to issue forth good Because what's going to happen is God is going to cause people to see His merciful nature and turn to Him. He'll quiet their lips and He brings justice for the unjust people through the work of Jesus Christ. What is the greatest good that we can show to those who afflict us? We can tell them of a God who can free them from their bondage of evil. Can we tell them this story while we're trying to get even with them? The answer is no. Romans chapter 12 ends with a great application of Romans chapter 12 and verse 1. Will you present your body as a living sacrifice? Do you really trust God? Do you trust Him when people around you are hateful? and evil. Presenting your body as a living sacrifice means we're, we say, Lord, I'm, I'm yours. 
I'll let you deal with the justice. I'll let you deal with the vengeance. You've called me to bring forth good. This is what you told me to do. Now, I know I can't do it of my own accord, but I want to do your will, so Lord, you're going to have to do this in me. I'm not able to forgive them of my own accord. You're going to have to do this in me. Lord, help me to forgive them. Give me the mercy for them that you've given to me. Too often we demonstrate that we trust us. If you're going to trust, uh, treat me that way, you'll pay. But God has set us free from the need to exact revenge. He has redeemed us. He's redeemed our lives from revenge. We haven't simply been told to turn the other cheek. We've been told that we can offer to those who hate us real, lasting, life-changing peace with God. So my question for you as we end is, have you experienced that kind of forgiveness of your sin? God offers you full, eternal pardon from your sin through the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, his Son. Jesus laid down his life as a once-for-all perfect sacrifice for your sin. What does God want from you? What does he want from you? Call out to him. Call out to him. Ask him to save you from your sin through Jesus Christ. There are no special words Call out to him and ask him to save you through Jesus Christ. If you'd like some help thinking through this, there'll be some people up here at the end of the service after we sing our last song. There'll be several people willing to to spend some time and pray with you so you can be sure that you've experienced, received this eternal pardon from your sin and the mercy that we're talking about that God offers to all who will come to him. Let's pray together. Father, You know what is needed in each of our lives. You know what struggles we're having. You know how hard this is for us. You remember our frame that we're dust. Father, give us mercy and grace to be able to demonstrate your mercy and grace to others. We've experienced your kindness. We want for you to help us to display it toward others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.